Good afternoon, and welcome to the Orton Family Foundation's Heart and Soul Talks conference call series, when we focus on key tools and solutions aimed at building better communities through empowering residents to plan their future based on what matters most to them. Community Heart and Soul is the Orton Family Foundation's signature community development and planning methodology. Familiarity with Community Heart and Soul is helpful, but certainly not necessarily necessary to gain some great knowledge and ideas from today's guests and from our listeners. My name is Fran Stoddard, and today we focus on tapping into youth energy in your community. Youth are our future, of course, and yet they're often dismissed in community work. Towns that have tapped into their energy are thrilled with the insight and contribution youth bring to the table. Today you'll hear how to reach young people and get them engaged in your community from three terrific guest speakers. Allie Lightfoot is Program Director at Public Radio Station KVNF in Paonia, Colorado. She's worked with elementary school students in a great community development project, among other things. Hi, Allie, and welcome. Thank you, Fran. We also have Andrew Simonetti. Um, he's a sophomore at the University of Vermont who has been involved in his community since he was a sophomore in high school. Welcome, Andrew. Hi, Fran. How are you? Great. And finally, Mark Nahorny, Director of Community Relations at the University of New England. He there initiated college student involvement in downtown Biddeford, Maine. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Fran. Hi, folks. Okay, I'm just going to uh, talk a, a little bit about how this call works, and then we'll get right back to our guests. We have over 150 people registered today, so we've put listeners on mute to keep the audio as clean as possible. In your email is also a link to our Google Doc. It's a shared online document for note-taking and questions. So you can interact with us and this whole listening community right there on the Google document. You can open it in your browser to follow along as Orton's Caitlin Davison takes notes on our speakers' presentations and answers. We hope you add your own comments or questions to the document at any time. It's a good idea to skim through there now to see questions that have already come in to avoid redundancy. And if you have a question during the call, please enter it there um, where the other questions are. We will leave this document up after the call for your continued input and reference. Maybe you have uh, some ideas that that we don't have, so please add them there. In a few uh, days, we'll also send the document link around to participants with call notes and this podcast. Since the Google Doc can only handle 50 people as active document editors at a time, if you aren't adding to the document by using the edit button that's there, please close out and reopen the document in the read-only mode, and that will just allow other people to add to the document. If you're having any trouble with the Google Docs during the call, clicking on the refresh icon should do it. If you're having other issues or other technical issues or would like to submit a question by email, you can contact Caitlin at C. Davison, that's C, D as in dog, A, V as in Victor, I, S, O, N as in Nancy, at Orton.org. Uh, thank you so much. So, now, on to our guests. Uh, first up is Allie Lightfoot. She is the program director at uh, public radio station KVNF in Paonia, Colorado. She directs Pass the Mic, a youth reporting project for students ages 7 through 12. 
It was instrumental in breaking down barriers and bringing new voices into the conversation about the region's future. Allie, it's so great to have you on the call. So tell us about that project and how it has changed your community. Well, thank you, Fran, and I, I love talking about this project because, of course, when we first started it, it was a bit of an experiment, and it ended up uh, being one of the best things I've been able to do here as program director at KBNF and in this community. Um, KBNF developed the proposal for Pass the Mic after several uh, successful youth radio camps. I had kids um, between the ages of 7 and 12 come in for a couple of months one summer uh, in the afternoons to create music shows and go out and do a few interviews on the street. And I quickly realized that um, the children make great reporters. They're sort of natural storytellers. They're creative. They tend to have an honest, curious, and direct approach when they're conducting interviews. They're disarming. Um, and, and if a kid walks up to you and asks you for an interview, you pretty much will say yes. So we were able to uh, reach out to parts of the community that might not say yes to an interview with me, but they would to a, a kid that walked up to them. Um, and I felt like there, the conversations were, were um, going places that I'd never be, been able to take them to. Um, so we, we um, when, when uh, North Fork Heart and Soul began, we, we had a proposal uh, for this project to ha have it be a two-year project with two sets of kids. Um, I, we had 14 kids total participate over two years. And each of these kids was assigned to a beat reporting on a North Fork industry. Uh, and they learned the skills of how to produce interviews and stories and multimedia. They did video. We worked with local, local um, videographers and producers uh, to create a video component along with the radio interviews. We focused on the five industries that were economic drivers here in the North Fork Valley and just a little bit about our community. Um, so um, we're in a community, the, there's three towns involved in the North Fork uh, Valley and um, like I think there's about 5,000 people in all three towns in the surrounding areas. And of um, that group, uh, we at the time we had uh, about 600 or 700 of those people were employed at local coal mines uh, that were struggling. And we also have solar energy development here. We have a lot of people who are living off the grid. We have traditional farmers who've been farming in the area since it was settled, uh, like six generations of farmers who are doing traditional farming and orchards. And then we have a bunch of people who came here in the 60s and 70s who are doing and, and still coming now uh, to have organic farms and vineyards. And it's becoming also a tourist area um, over, I don't know, the past 10 or 15 years uh, for people who are into biking and um, uh, running, skiing. Uh, it's definitely become a, a recreational area. So we decided to focus on these five different um, uh, economic drivers, which are energy, agriculture, arts and entertainment, which has uh, also grown quite a bit, uh, especially in Paonia, um, health and wellness, recreation and tourism. So each of the kids was assigned 
um, to one of those industries to cover it. And we wanted the kids to have some experience with that, that industry. Sometimes we'd have two covering a particular industry. So we had, in, in one situation, we had, um, you know, a kid who was a coal, a coal miner's daughter was covering uh, energy, and we had another kid who was uh, had grown up living off the grid, and her, his parents and family were proponents of alternative and solar energies. Um, and suddenly you had, they were bringing those two ideas together and also learning a lot about them uh, and, and working together. So they would each cover the, uh, the part of that industry that they didn't know as much about. So you would have, you know, the the, the child who who was, a, you know, from an off-the-grid family covering the coal mines and learning about that industry. Um, it was also, when Pass the Mic started, it was also at a time in the community when there was a lot of um, fighting amongst the adults about our economy and about those industries. We had the old timers um, sort of resenting the newcomers, um, and we had uh, other, you know, debates um, about how to how to sort of move this area forward. A lot of the old timers didn't feel comfortable with turning it into a tourist area and bringing people in here for recre recreation and agritourism. Um, so it turned out that past the mic was a great way to have this discussion because. When children are involved, you know, adults um, tend to um, they tend to try to stop acting like children <laughs> for the children's sake uh, to to open up these discussions. So I felt like the project built a lot of bridges between the old and the young, and it built a lot of bridges between the so-called hippies and rednecks in our community um, by involving the the children in the discussion. Uh, and it also seems like a natural fit to have children talking about their future, not just because we need to hear their input on what they hope would, would happen, but also they need to be thinking about their future and their future in their own community. Um, so that's, that's sort of how that went. We had, um, they would, we would work on all of our pieces uh, and go out in the field and do these interviews. Uh, edit them, put them all together, and then we would have a, um, a a show at the end where we showed all of a documentary film about each of those industries and about the project at our local movie theater. And it packed the house both times. It uh, brought you know the parents and friends and family of each of the kids to the theater, along with just community members who'd been listening to the radio pieces throughout the project and became interested in, in the whole uh, project and wanted to find out more. It started discussions that um, are still going on today, you know, about what what we want to um, provide for our children and what kind of community we want to be um, with them in mind. Uh, and that part of it was, was pretty amazing because there was, before that there was just a lot of fighting going on. And um, Allie, even in those gatherings, didn't um, I think I remember somebody saying those all those the diversity of town ca all came together in the theater to watch the children. They did, and that rarely happened. They did, and there there was so much humor in it too, because the kids, uh, when they're interviewing people, they don't. Um, there's no small talk. They're very direct. 
They asked funny questions, too. Um, you had children interested in industries that you, that you maybe weren't expecting. My son participated in the second group, and he wanted to interview a taxidermist. So that surprised me. I was full taken off guard by that. I didn't even realize he had an interest in that um, that profession. Um, and and there was another kid who who um, uh, interviewed a local brewer and learned how to make beer. And so he'd be, you know, there were scenes of him hanging out in the bar, you know, talking to the brewer and learning about hops and learning about how, you know how that process works and. Um, so there were a lot of humorous moments too, and I think it made people feel really proud. It made people feel uh, they got a huge sense of pride of the industries that we have here and how diverse they really are. It also made us uh, proud of our kids and proud of what um, what kind of community we're we're raising our kids in, um, and it felt good, I think, for the brewer or for the taxidermist or for any of the people that they interviewed to have a child interested in in um, not only their their job and what they do here, but how they feel about this community community and what's important to them here. One of the questions the kids would always ask every sort of the common question throughout every interview is what matters most to you? And many of the people answered, the kids do, you do. Um, so mm -hmm. it was um, felt good for the kids too to feel like these people were working really in essence for them. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I I thought that part of it was really was really amazing as well. Um, sure. And I hope we can continue doing these projects because I think really for them to have lasting impact, you need to keep the discussion going. And it was really the first time KVNS had looked at our all of these economies in depth ever. Um, hmm. We don't we don't have any regular programming where we're looking at um, the different um, economic drivers of our community. We just have a few stories here and there. So Terrific. Uh, that's it in a nutshell. Great, Allie. Thank you so much. Wonderful, wonderful project. I believe we have a link to a video um, of some of these. Uh, Pass the mic uh, videos, and um, so people can can go dive a little deeper, and we'll get back to you during the Q and A uh, portion. So we'll move on to Andrew Simonetti. He is now a sophomore at the University of Vermont. He's from Essex, Vermont, and played a key role in his town's community heart and soul project, serving even as co-chair of the heart and soul team, um, and started, I think, as a sophomore in high school. So it's great to have you here, Andrew. How did you get involved, and what was your experience? First off, thank you for having me, Fran. Uh, hey, everyone. How's it going? Uh, as Fran had mentioned, my name is Andrew Simonetti. I am a sophomore at UVM in Vermont, uh, and I was involved with the Essex Heart and Soul Project, which was a second or a second tier town. In uh, started in about 2012 and went through 2014. Uh, as Fran had mentioned, I started when I was a sophomore in high school, but uh, my involvement with the community goes even further back than that. Uh, when I was 14, so I believe in seventh grade. I uh, joined a committee to build a bike park, uh, which imagine a skate park but with dirt ramps uh, at our, our local park. And uh, I became very involved in that and went to the different board meetings for that through the rec committee and as well as the bike park committee itself and worked my way up to the chair of that committee. 
through that, I had to make presentations to the zoning board, the select board, to try and get appropriations for funds, get zoning permits passed, um, and we ended up getting the park built in uh, 2010. Uh, so that, I would probably say, is what started, or I caught the bug in terms of getting involved in my community after that project, because I realized that even as, I mean, then I was a 14-year-old, uh, that I had made a difference uh, through some of my steps and the things I had done, uh, a bike park was built in, you know, in the community. Um, and what really mattered a lot to me is some of the different people that I had spoken to along the way, along the zoning board and the select board, had specifically stated that, uh, you know, it's really it was really inspiring for us to see a, such a young kid up there pre presenting. And, you know, perhaps if that had been a different situation, uh, maybe the outcome would have been less likely if there was a bunch of uh, older people out there trying to just get more money for another project to build in the town. Um, so I think it's really important to have that diversity of voices uh, when doing any project. Um, so fast forward a couple years, and the director of Essex Junction Recreation and Parks, Brad Luck, um, approached me uh, after he had met me through the bike park project and asked me if I'd like to be a part of the this project that was Carl's Heart and Soul. Now, we, no one really knew what was what this was at the time. Um, it was really nebulous, and uh, but he forwarded me a couple e forwarded me a couple emails, and I read through them, and something was different about it. It just there was the possibility that I had it's something I had never really seen of before, heard of before. Um, and now I come from a town that has a long history of divide. We have a village that li is within a town, and the village residents pay taxes to both the village government and the town government. And there have been many different conversations as opposed uh, concerning merging the two municipalities together, increasing the town's taxes, decreasing the village taxes, vice versa. Uh, so there's a lot of argument that goes on around that. And I saw this this project as an opportunity to not combine the towns, which is something we fought throughout most of the entire project, but as an opportunity for us to get together and talk and get a, a vast assortment of voices um, built together on this. So I said yes, I'd attend a meeting. Um, and this was back in probably May of 2011. Uh, I started joining uh, the meetings. We were talking about the grant application process. And uh, throughout that process, I became more involved, having, helping to write proposals, write certain parts of the grant. Uh, if I remember correctly, the grant was quite involving and inclusive. So we had tons of information to gather. Uh, it really opened my eyes to my community in a way that a typical 15-year-old probably would not see his community otherwise. Um, and lo and behold, we received the grant. And uh, a lot of people always ask me what what was like a light bulb moment for me in heart and soul. And one of my favorite stories to share is that, uh, I guess I'm backtracking a little bit here, before we even received the grant, uh, a group of people from the Orton Family Foundation, the board of directors would come and visit uh, each of the towns that I guess made it through the first cut, the first selection of the process. Uh, and Essex made it through and we were one of those towns. So we had to organize a one day site visit in which the board of directors would come to the town. And uh, all of that started at the morning in the morning at a uh, one of the local churches that also had a community gathering room. Um, and we got about 350 to 400 people in there. Students came from the high school, from the different boards and everything. And uh, we had a 15-minute presentation to give to not only the community, but more importantly, the Family Foundation Board of Directors. Uh, and I spoke for the first 
five to seven minutes of that presentation. And the amount of support that I received after that and through that, and I saw there was an energy in the room and in the community that I had never seen before. And it was that moment right there uh, that really spoke out to me that, that this process was different. And this process allowed us to to involve different people that, especially youth, that had never been involved in a process like this before. Um, I, I firmly believe that in order to involve the youth of your community, you have to think outside the box. Um, it's very rare that you'll be able to get children to uh, come to board meetings and participate without some other form of engaging them first. Now, we've seen many different times where you can get youth on boards and committees, um, but the big thing is going into the community first and finding them, because a lot of times the avenues in which you advertise for a new board member for the village tree committee or something are not along the same path that typically a student might be interested in, although maybe they're studying natural resources in school, and that's an extremely interesting topic to them. Um, so one of the things we did specifically with the Heart and Soul of Essex project is uh, myself and Fran, actually, and another uh, student that it was a classmate of mine back when I was in high school, Kale Cooper, uh, we started to make a video um, about Essex. It started out just being an all-inclusive video. Um, I believe the title was This is Essex or We Are Essex, something along those lines. And uh, we drove around, or at that time we had our parents drive us around, um, neither of us had our licenses at that point, and we just uh, filmed with very basic, you know, camera equipment. It didn't require a whole lot of equipment at all. Uh, we filmed different scenes in the town from, you know, the downtown center all the way out to the outskirts where there was a decent farming community. Um, and we also went into the town. We went to different events, like uh, we have a Fourth of July celebration, a block party, and at that point a farmer's market was starting up. And we went there, and we asked different people uh, questions, like, what do you love about Essex? What's your favorite part about Essex? You know, how long have you been here? Different questions like that. And we ended up putting together this three-minute, four-minute video um, that encompassed kind of the vibe that Essex gave off from the, the urban downtown to the rural outskirts to the people that live there and what they valued about Essex. And this video kind of served, we put, put it out on Facebook, websites, everything, and it served to get people not only involved in heart and soul itself, but we found that it got people involved in Essex as well. Um, and many of the people we interviewed were, were youth, and they were extremely excited about being able to be on camera. It seems to be if you put a camera in front of any, anyone, especially younger kids, they'll, get, they'll love to talk, and they talk forever about it. Uh, so we kind of continued this video series throughout the heart and soul process. Um, and now this is not exclusive to the heart and soul process at all. This can be incorporated in any sort of process you might be doing in your town. Um, but we then created a 10-part video series. Now these videos were much shorter. They were about a minute and 30 seconds long to two minutes max. In each video, we decided to uh, try and grab a different demographic of people. Um, you know, for example, one video would be on uh, maybe the local business owners. The next video might have been on some of the agricultural sector. Uh, speak to the youth in the third video. Um, one of the videos we went to the senior center and kind of got some historical perspective from some of these residents that had lived in Essex for 60 or 70 years. Um, and each week we would put out a different video over 10 weeks. Um, and these videos would get tons of hits. And people were just getting interested and getting involved in the process. And excitement was growing. Um, and then fast forward even further, we a, enacted a photo booth 
um, that was heavily focused on the specifically the youth of our community. And in which what that was is we would show up with a trifold poster and a camera to a bunch of different events, uh, specifically targeting events where families would be there um, or sporting events, anything with a you know a younger demographic would would show up. And we would have a, a question that we'd ask. And these questions were similar to some of the ones we used in the uh, the video series, the original, like, what do you love about Essex? What is one thing you change about Essex? Um, but all these questions were geared around being able to write your answer on a whiteboard. Uh, and what these these kids mostly would do, we'd ask them the question, and then they would write their answer on the whiteboard, and then what we would do is take a picture of them holding their whiteboard with their answer. Um, and eventually, towards the end of that, that is how we gathered a lot of community input and while some of those short statements may seem trivial, when you combine all of those and data analysis and all of that stuff in uh, any sort of processing, like Excel or something, it is vastly um, greater than just those simple statements. Uh, we learned so much about what people really value our community. And for those of you that are familiar with the heart and soul process, that was a huge step along with uh, some neighborhood conversations to the uh, gathering our values phase until we had uh, came out with our five values, as I believe Ali had mentioned similar in that. Um, so kind of wrapping things up, that was my involvement with Heart and Soul, specifically from a youth perspective, starting out on the board and how I got involved, and then coming from being a youth on the board, trying to get other people involved. And I guess if I had any key takeaway points to, to emphasize is that um, youth are just as important as any adult members on any community advisory board or any community project. But the biggest thing I have to stress is that when you involve a youth in a committee, um, it's really important to make sure that they are a full, a full member of that committee. They have voting rights. They have um, whatever any order rights that the adults have in that committee. Um, because if if we can feel as as needed and if we feel like we're making a difference, the opportunities are endless in terms of what you can accomplish with that. And uh, with that, I'll turn it back to Fran. Thank you very much. Thank you, Andrew. Terrific. Yeah, that um, I think making sure that you're heard and having those full rights is, is a really key piece. Thank you so much. Uh, Martin Horney is Director of Community Relations um, at the University of New England. Uh, he led efforts to get college students engaged in heart and soul activities in downtown Biddeford, Maine, while he was the Dean of Students. And um, they got in, involved not only in the arts, but going downtown in a lot of ways. He had some really great programs. So, Mark, tell, <laughs> Thanks, us, tell us about what you did and what's still happening today. I will, Fran. Hi, folks. Um, as Fran said, I'm Mark Nahorny, currently Director of Community Relations, but uh, I had served as Dean of Students for years. I'm also a resident of Biddeford, so this is my, uh, my adopted town as well. But I participated in the Heart and Soul Project um, with the Heart of Biddeford, which is their main street organization here in Biddeford, as a sociology professor. I was teaching a, uh, a senior year citizenship class. Uh, the class spent two and a half years. It was a two and a half year project um, with the uh, Heart of Biddeford and the Heart and Soul Project. About 12 to 15 students per semester. And they were charged with uh, learning Biddeford, touring downtown, reading about its history, meeting with city official and private sector leaders, um, the volunteer component of the class, there was one, was fulfilled by coordinating various Heart of Biddeford activities. Um, so for a semester, what we tried to do is immerse these students into the city life, uh, the past, present, and the future. Now, a bit about Biddeford and the university. 
Uh, Biddeford, uh, Maine, is a river town. The Saco River flows right through it. And in the late 1960s, or as late as the 1960s, over 10,000 people worked in the downtown mills along that river. The, the mills date themselves back to the 1840s, actually. Um, by the time the Heart and Soul Project, though, there were about a couple hundred working in those mills in downtown Biddeford. The downtown had changed, business vacancies were high, and the historic downtown was a shell of its former self. I came to the University of New England about uh, 13 years ago and had been involved with the host city of the college I was working at throughout my uh, uh, careers. Um, and with Biddeford, I thought it would be no different. Um, so the first fall I was here, I had a meeting with local businesses, the newspaper editors, city officials, and put forth a plan to bus students from the campus, which is about four and a half miles away on a peninsula on the Atlantic Ocean, to shop on a Saturday afternoon in downtown Biddeford. The response I got was, I didn't imagine I was going to hear, uh, why would we do that? So there was work to be done. But slowly we forged a connection with downtown and the businesses, first through the arts. Um, I've been a member of the board of directors of the Biddeford City Theater for 11 years now, now it's president. Um, it's a 120-year-old uh, facility with 500 seats. It's a renovated opera house and just beautiful. So we invited UNE students to productions, uh, also to uh, to appear on stage with us, um, have some of their student activities at the theater as well. From there, we sought uh, students for internships in the downtown businesses and in, in the city government. And the first UNE intern uh, that time was with the city manager. We also looked for volunteer, uh, meaningful volunteer experiences. And we had a UNE student as a full member of the board of directors of the city theater, for, for an example. We then worked with the local transit bus system and created a city route, which ran seven days a week during the fall and spring semester between UNE and downtown. UNE contributed financially to that and still does, and the route is still active. And actually, the route is uh, gaining uh, ridership every year. But that was all good timing. We had those connective elements in place, and the Heart and Soul project began. The UNE citizenship was class was charged with learning about Biddeford so that their final paper answering this question from its past, present, and possible future, imagine downtown Biddeford 10 years from now. Well, that final paper became part of the Heart and Soul Report. And in addition, the students interviewed faculty and staff about their feelings and connections to Biddeford for the Heart and Soul Project as well. Now I've been posting downtown Biddeford updates on my Facebook page for years, and I hear regularly from former class members about the amazing positive things that are happening. This past year, over $75 million of renovation and construction uh, in the Mill District has been announced. The uh, store vacancies are lower, lowest than they've been in the last, I think, 15, 20 years, people are saying. Folks are moving from out of state into the new Mill apartments and opening businesses. The UNE players now perform at City Theater twice a year. There are three UNE interns working at the heart of Biddeford, and UNE saw fit to create a position that I now have to maintain and strengthen the connection between UNE and Biddeford. The students work, dine, volunteer, learn, and showcase their art in downtown Biddeford. I think residents of Biddeford also, through these efforts, um, though they were disappointed in the lost past, are, are excited now about the, uh, the future that's emerging uh, from downtown. One final note, the Heart and Soul Project directly spawned a downtown strategic plan, which was considered and adopted by the City Council. So the Heart and Soul Project really did change Biddeford, and I think the university, for the better. Awesome. Mark, thank you so much. Um, these, these are really transformative stories, and your questions are coming in fast and furiously, so we'll get right to the um, Q&A portion. I, 
I do have to react to 75 million is a pretty good chunk of money that's been invested in your town since starting this. So that's pretty. Well, if you, if you take the mill district, which actually encompasses Saco, it's actually over 100 million last year. So it's quite something. It's transformative. Yeah. Yeah, and when I've been to that area, people go, oh, Biddeford's so hip now. It's so cool. It's so, it's so wild. So, yeah, it's really completely changed its brand. Um, okay, so let's let's get to the um, the questions. Uh, the first one came, that came in from Pennsylvania is um, about providing resources. Now, this might might be, and, and other people can join in. If there are resources to help planning professionals who don't have children themselves gauge what age group a particular activity is suitable for, Allie, since you've worked with so many different age groups, um, do you have a, a thought about targeting certain age I groups or? Not. Go ahead. I, I do, and I think the best resource you, you could find in almost any community is your local schools <laughs> and your local teachers. Um, uh, if you don't have, if you're not familiar with a certain age group, I, I was because I was a, a parent, um, and I'd done both workshops with with like eight to twelve year olds. I'd done workshops with. Um, junior high kids and with high school kids, and I actually find that the, 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 the kids can do anything. <laughs> so I didn't ever have a problem where I was like, oh, this is above their, this is not where they're at. I will right. say if you're working with young students, younger, 7 to 12, it helps if you have some assistance some adult assistance because the main thing you have to do with kids that age is keep them occupied and give them assignments or they will mm. find something else to do. Um, with teenagers, you can um, they can work a little bit more independently, but I would say go to your local school because you probably want to be collaborating uh, with people in your community anyway, and teachers are absolutely the best uh, resource out there, and, and they also tend to want to ha get, um, help their kids have more opportunities in their community too. They can. We sure. worked with schools for Pass the Mic. We look, uh, worked with them to recruit our applicants. So we went around to all the schools and said, we're working on this project. We're only accepting seven kids in each group. Um, can you encourage uh, the kids that you think would be good for this project to apply? Great. Thank you, Allie. Mm -hmm. um, another question that came in was, how do you measure the effectiveness of youth engagement? I'm going to start with Mark since he's the academic in the group, but uh, the, um, uh, maybe uh, Andrew or somebody else has something to add. But go ahead, Mark. How, did you measure? How, how do you measure this? Well, I think what you got to do is look at you know, the, the pre-involvement of students in anything that's happening. For us, it was in the downtown area. And that was a pretty easy thing to, to measure because there wasn't much happening. The, the reach out from the city to students and students to the city just wasn't there. Uh, there was really no need for students to go down there. They could get everything they needed either on campus or a quick drive to the mall. Um, so what we have seen um, most recently um, with the development of the mills into apartments is that our medical students when they move up here to do two years of medical school, it's one of the first places they stop right after the oceanfront housing that, 
that uh, mm. people rent out, but they're down in the mills, and they've populated that really, really well. We seniors live off campus, undergraduates, and they have found their way to the mills. They're really neat apartments. You don't need a car. The bus service is right there. Um, cats and dogs are allowed. Uh, it's all inclusive in terms of rent. So the developer, the private developer, has really done a really good job of of, of getting students down there. And also the number of restaurants that have appeared uh, over the past uh, five to seven years. Uh, it's a variety now, and uh, and we know that students are, are in there because the uh, uh, restaurants are asking to participate in the UNE ID Accepted Here 10% discount program. Um, so that now exists. And once again, the ridership of the bus, which uses the transportation center downtown as its hub, uh, the ridership's increased over the years. Terrific. Thank you so much. Uh, we've had a lot of questions about engaging youth in different things that I think some of these people think maybe youth wouldn't be involved in, like community economics, uh, changing policy, neighborhood revitalization efforts, you know, kind of like can, can youth get involved in these things? Andrew, um, can youth get involved in some of these stickier things like policy and neighborhood revitalization? I would say absolutely. Um, in fact, you know, in my town in Essex, uh, as a part of the Heart and Soul Projects, we did several, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call them neighborhood revitalizations, but we did something called a neighborhood conversation in which uh, students and adults alike would be trained. Uh, it was a one-day training as a facilitator, um, and then they would go out and host a neighborhood conversation, which frequently would be in a host. Uh, house, uh, food would be provided by that, and it would be a group of 10 to 12 people. Um, the script for the conversations was provided by, you know, our Heart and Soul of Essex Committee, so there was, if there were any gaps, but frequently the scripts, you know, weren't even followed, the conversation just flowed naturally. Um, and now you could take that a step further and, you know, into the neighborhood revitalization and just structure those talks in terms of uh, specific maybe issues that that neighborhood is, is experiencing or something like that. So any uh, a forum such as that can be tailored to really anything you you know you need to do. And we've seen uh, youth and students, particularly high school age. Um, I don't know if I'd go any lower than high school age for a facilitator, but um, we've had eight and, between eight and fourteen successfully uh, facilitate those kind of groups. Um, and then also in terms of you know economics, Essex has an ex economic development commission um, in which anyone is likely is. Uh, available to participate in, and uh, I can I cannot stress enough collaboration with the schools as like as Ali had mentioned before, uh, getting a high school or an economics class or an AP economics class involved in um, you know making decisions or providing data for the for the town. But uh, one one thing that I'm hearing um, from all of you um, relates to Mark, who's in Minnesota. He says he's a city planner, and last year he worked with local high school students to bring them together in a series of meetings to discuss what's good and not so good about the community. He says we met several times, and the attendance kept dropping. I was hoping that by providing a facilitator and bringing students together, their conversations would get them excited about being involved in some way to make our city better. However, it was a flop, and nothing really came of it. <laughs> what did I do wrong? Um, uh, you know, is there a way to bring high school students together um, and really get them involved? And it sounds like having having them do something real and being with adults. Yeah. Is that what I'm hearing from you, Andrew? Absolutely, Fran. Um, while I wouldn't necessarily say you did anything wrong in Minnesota, um, I I definitely agree that 
you need a lot of times, at least speaking on behalf of myself right now, uh, being hands-on and if you can physically see the results or feel them of what you are doing, the chances of a reoccurrence of, you know, that student showing back up to another conversation uh, increase rapidly. Um, so, yes, I really do think that it's important to get them involved and get them doing something something real. Great. And uh, thank you so much. Um, so, yeah, try again. Don't give up. <laughs> get them involved in something real. Um, John Paul from Bucksport um, is interested in, in a couple things, um, and somebody else from Alley. Uh, he asked, was Pass the Mic the only storytelling in your area, or were there other interviews and stories being gathered? Uh, somebody else also is hoping he can, he or she can get a list of questions um, that were asked by the kids. So, um, Allie, were there other things going on in the town, um, other interviews, other stories being gathered? Yes. Um, we did, as part of Pass the Mic, we actually did a project with high school students as well who were graduating. So they were seniors and they were getting ready to graduate, graduate and we gave them um, video cameras to go around and basically tell the story of their life in, in the North Fork. And then we interviewed them and asked them what they, um, what, what their experience was growing up here and what they worried about uh, for this area and what they were, um, hopeful about and sort of what they felt like this place gave them as they, they were going to leave the area. All of them were going off to college or um, leaving. And then we had another set of interviews that we did with seniors who had decided to stay here. So it was all about why they decided to stay here. Some of them were still going to go to college, but their plan was to come back. Um, then uh, another uh, um, woman who does theater projects with kids did a, a play called Hippies and Rednecks Unite, and she found um, uh, high school kids and junior high kids, and I mean, she pretty much went to every age group and had them talk about stereotype and discrimination um, based on their, um, whatever they might affiliate themselves with, whether they were the with a hippie family or a redneck family. And that was extremely powerful. It, there were uh, videos that were made as part of that project, and then kids uh, wrote the script for this, this play and performed it at our theater, and um, that was an amazing project. Um, and then, you know, we have other arts organizations that do a lot of literary events, so there's a lot of storytelling there. We have historical societies that are doing events as well. There's a lot of storytelling happening here, and our libraries are involved as well. Mm -hmm. And and I think we we, um, we have a link. We'll put a, make sure that the link is up to that video, that wonderful video of stereotypes. And uh, we hope to get Allie maybe after this is finished, um, she might uh, put up a list of her questions that were um, the major questions that were asked by kids. Um, that sounds terrific. Yeah. Um, I have a question. Is that okay, Allie? Uh-huh, yeah, sure. Okay. I have a question for Mark, um, because I know this is this is this happened in Biddeford. Uh, Trish uh, from Vermont would love to hear about experience with intergenerational relationships that motivated long um, lasting positive impact. And um, I believe this was, you know, maybe you heard about this anecdotally. This is a high school project that happened in Biddeford. Um, where high school students at an English class 
did um, have interviews, I think, with their elders. Do you know yeah. about that project? Yeah, I do. They, they talked to their grandparents, and some great videos came out of that. And it was a good project, I think, for high school students. It gave them a reason to talk to their grandparents, but there was comfort in it. Um, and then I think everybody was surprised, the students and we all who saw it and heard about it, at the richness of the oral history that was there. Um, and it's, it's a really wonderful area here, um, so that the stories were, were just phenomenal. So I would absolutely say it's a great project to try with uh, high school, college, any year, any years. And one thing that I heard that that did is those elders who were kind of like didn't want anything to change <laughs> were so moved by those discussions that helped them loosen up a little bit to be more open to change in their town. Yeah, it did. It took about uh, took, it took the two and a half years to, I think, get everybody to say, okay, we honor the past. That's that We've got that. We understand that. And I'm a transplant, too. I do honor it. But here's what you have here in terms of natural resources and, and I think, historical buildings and a rich historical past. And I think the, the mayor here tells a great story about it, too. Uh, I think folks who came in could see things stepping back a bit, where folks who had lived here over the years just were too intently in it and couldn't see anything but what was and will never be. But um, I've got to say, one of the first businesses that moved into those textile mills was a, uh, it's called Hyperlite, uh, and they make uh, space-age uh, tent fabrics, and one of the first jobs they posted was seamstresses. So oh, history wow. history repeats itself, yeah. That gives me chills. Yeah. Um, I have um, Bill in Maine is a high school principal with a student leadership group that is interested in the Heart and Soul Project in Bucksport, Maine. He'd like to get uh, students involved as soon as possible, but he, he worries about burning them out too early. Um, Andrew, do you uh, want to address burnout with you? Absolutely. Um, first, uh, we experienced some burnout in you know in Essex throughout our project, and you know it's a really it, you have to go at it with a very precise approach, um, and what I would recommend is starting to involve them lightly, um, like perhaps if you're going to have one specific event or one specific conversation or something regarding that, pick a singular occurrence and invite the students to come, give them jobs at the, at the let's say that it's an event or something, give them jobs, and then judging on the kind of involvement you see with the students at that particular event, um, maybe then the next event they'd like to come back and you know I keep going back to like maybe the, the photo booth that we tested. You know, so perhaps three or four students would like to come and set up their own photo booth, think of some questions, ask those questions, take the pictures, um, you know, bring them home and then upload them to, you know, your website or whatever kind of thing you guys are doing in Busport. Um, and then from there judge their input and then just you know, it's really important to just Take it slow and involve them to the extent that they feel at that current time. Because if you keep involving them, uh, hopefully our goal or anyone's goal in that project is that with every event they do, they'll become more and more invested in the project, to which the point you might have a student volunteer to then serve on the advisory board. Um, but by no means would I necessarily suggest uh, throwing a student onto the advisory board without any judgment of input, because then you can create burnout. And uh, what, we're, what we're looking for is it'd be great to have students that are around for the entire project or around for longer than one event because, you know, with the, once you become familiar with Heart and Soul, uh, it just becomes very valuable. Okay. Thanks. Can I, can I just add Yes, please, Allie. Um, sure. I... I noticed that when we did pass the mic, it was really uh, one of the things that really got the kids excited and kept them engaged 
is by sort of treating them like real reporters. Um, uh, like, for instance, they had press passes. Um, they, oh. had, they had passes into events that they could get into for free because they were press. Um, we just tried to treat them like they were real reporters in town, and that made them feel important, basically, and they wanted to keep – they wanted to, to hang on to that and, um, and you know, really – they took it seriously as a job, really, as a, as a reporter. So by getting those few little perks, you know, and that acknowledgement um, that it was a legit thing, they were legit reporters – so if there's any way that you can, I mean, even just little T-shirts or, you know, things that sort of um, really make them a part of that program and make them stand out a little bit um, seem to to get keep them engaged. Brilliant. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a question about how you involve at-risk and English language learners, or these can be clearly two very uh, separate uh, categories of people, in your activities, and what has been the success rate? So we haven't, I'm, I'm going to kind of open this this up um, if, uh, I don't know, Mark or, or Andrew, any thoughts, or, or any of you, I'm not sure quite who to, who to address this to, but how do you involve at-risk or English language learners, and I know somebody was also interested in small towns and tribes. Um, so some people who who might not be really involved in the town, kind of outliers, how do you bring them in and what's been successful in terms of activities? Uh, this is Mark. I think for any group, um, you need to, and we've talked about this as we've uh, evaluated our heart and soul here, um, Heart of Biddeford had a director at the time who just lived and breathed it. And she went and looked for key people within populations to tap and, and get involved and get excited. And then broke down the project into simple things that they could do to get them involved. And then a lot of them did stay for the long term as well. So I really think that you've, you've got to find someone in that population um, that can buy in, bring some people uh, with them, and then gently uh, and easily uh, guide them into participation. Okay, thanks. Allie or Andrew, anything to add to that? More more difficult, uh, risky populations? Yeah, we had a, a similar issue, or not necessarily issue, in, in Essex in terms of we had a large refugee population, uh, Sudanese refugees that, that did not speak in English at all. Um, and what Mark said is entirely true. Uh, what we had done is, uh, the biggest thing is you have to go to them. You know, a lot of times through, you know, any sort of number of issues that uh, maybe transportation is not really necessarily available to them or something like that. The biggest thing is, you know, you have to go to them. And we had done a very similar thing. We found a couple of key people in that community that did buy into it. They became very vested in the project. And then over time, they, you know, they would go, they would attend some of our events and they go back home to their communities and their families and, tell their friends about it, and then maybe the next event we have a couple more of them show up. And eventually we had a pretty good involvement with all of our, you know, the different uh, youth or at-risk uh, or English language or any of that kind of the, I guess, uh, your minority demographics. Um, they're you know, decently vested in the project, but it's definitely, it's not easy. Um, and uh, I would just advise to, to not give up, you know, if your first attempt fails. Okay. And I, I think we've heard many of 
many activities that that work. A lot of people are interested in you know kind of specific activities that we may not have covered. I'm uh, I think we usually hear about food right away, and I haven't heard um, about that. But are there specific activities that really worked for youth that we not, we might not have talked about yet? Mark. Well, I had grades to deal with, so that's a different. That's better than food. So, uh, for the folks in the class, um, for other individuals, it was just you know, uh, for a downtown or for involvement in a community, you know, what do they need first of all that you have that you want to get them uh, connected to, and then the other piece is you know, how do you in, invest them and, and sell them on um, anything the community is doing that should be part of anybody's life. Um, I think part of going to college is to, you know, find your community certainly on campus, but find your host communities too. Just get a sense of who they are and and do meaningful involvement. Uh, we're pretty lucky here at UNE. We've got a, a long-standing relationship with the school systems, so we have mentors in the school systems and other programs that were out there. So this was an easier sell, I think, for us than at other places that I might have worked. Okay. Terrific. Um, so we are, you know, we, we have about seven minutes. Um, there might be another event that you want to talk about and or, you know, what's that one thing that we haven't touched on or how would you advise, like, what's something people can get started with tomorrow? You know, what's, what's a good thing to begin planning to get more youth involved and really take advantage, as we say, of that incredible youth um, effort? Um, Allie, you, you want to start with some final thoughts or things that we haven't mentioned? Sure. Um, I mean, of course, because I work in radio, I, I would like to say that your community radio stations, if you have one in your community, are a great place to um, maybe approach for collaboration because most community radio stations are that they have a mission to uh, involve youth. They have a probably somewhere in their mission statement to reach out to parts of the community that they're not reaching. Um, so we, you'll probably have a common mission and, and possibly involving uh, youth in media or ha at least having the radio station cover whatever project you're, you're working on with the youth is a great um, way to go. And I, I, what happened after um, Heart and Soul is quite a few of our organizations started having youth on um, committees and boards. So they have mm -hmm. a youth representative on, on committees and boards for other nonprofits, like uh, the arts organization uh, uh, that I work with a lot too um, in, in downtown Paonia has uh, youth on their, on several committees for programming, for designing their the youth um, art programs and that sort of thing. and. Um, they make great volunteers. They're, um, you know, we have interns here uh, from the school. Again, call your school, see how you can involve um, youth from the schools in in whatever it is you're working on, as an intern or on a committee. Terrific. Thank, thank you so much, Allie. I've, I've heard towns getting pushback when they say, you know, we should get we should get a youth on board, and there'd be pushback, and then they would do it, and they would just be, this is the best thing we've ever done. It's really yeah. getting. And I mean, it's not every kid. That's why it's so great. Go to a school and say, which, you know, you because they know the kids 
there so they can tell you mm-hmm. it's not every kid's going to be great on a committee <laughs> just right. like not every adult will will be either you know but um, yeah. good point <laughs> terrific thank you so much Allie. andrew some some final thoughts from you yeah um a big thing uh is just i would just say get out there really um if you currently have a committee formed, maybe form a subcommittee based on that, or a task force, a youth task force, and then just identify some some events that are naturally occurring in the community that frequently have a high youth attendance, and then just uh, the parade. Um, yeah, exactly, parades, anything like that. Uh, just and then get out there with your materials, whatever you're, um, you know, you're pushing at the time, and. Uh, start showing how it is applicable to them. And if you can, and then where they can get involved, I uh, have some business cards or some ideas already somewhat brainstormed. They don't have to be concrete by any means. Um, and then when you when you do go to these events, you can pitch those ideas, judge the reaction on that, and then uh, hand out more contact information uh, so that those that are interested uh, continue to get involved and then um, you know, I'd roll from there if you find an idea that's working and you're getting good reviews on it. Uh, start to roll that idea out, and then uh, it can just co- compound from there, really. Um, but make yourself visible. Uh, nothing, you're not going to get uh, youth involvement from, from sitting in a boardroom. Really. Uh, put it bluntly, you know, you really, you got to get out there and, you you know, and go to them. Um, and I, I promise you won't regret it. And probably having somebody like you, another youth there, who can really talk to them peer-to-peer. That, that's another big thing, yeah. Um, finding, uh, if you can find one one youth uh, that is particularly very in, invested in that project and then use them as a, a spokesperson or something uh, that hopefully will inspire others to say, like, oh, he did it, you know, of course, I can do it too, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's, cool. that's a phenomenal, phenomenal idea. Great. Thanks, Andrew. And, Mark, your um, your tips and final thoughts. Yeah, a couple things. And I think that um, for uh, college students, when they're acknowledged and awarded by the city, that works wonders, too. The mayor of Biddeford, for the last few years, he created a UNE Volunteer of the Year Award. Uh, and now, uh, and of course, it gets great press uh, coverage. Uh, students know it exists. And I think there's some students uh, contacting me to make sure they know when the uh, the applications will be. But that's worked out really well. The other thing about high school students, and I've sat on a number of uh, local boards, local city um, uh, boards with high school student representation. I think we've got to uh, recognize that uh, high school life moves quickly and changes quickly. So if we can get a high school student for six months, that's great. Or if we can get a senior and a junior kind of pair it up and get them for a year, I think that's wonderful. Um, but it seems that high school life really changes really quickly for the uh, for the students. So uh, we always look for them, uh, but we're realistic about uh, how much they can be involved. Perfect. Thank you so much. That's that's, that's a great tip. So I want to thank um, our three fabulous guests. Thank you, Allie, for your great work and contributions today. Thanks. Thank you. Colorado. And thank you, Andrew, for bringing us insight into how youth can become engaged in our community. Thank thank you. you Thank you, Fran. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And again, and thank you, Mark, also for your inspiring stories and knowledge. It was great to have you on board. Appreciate it, Fran. So, Allie, I believe Allie, Andrew, and Mark have generously offered their emails um, so you can connect with them directly if you have a specific question uh, for one of them. Uh, Caitlin has also put a link to a very brief 
survey at the top of the Google Doc in the announcement section, so we hope you take a moment to complete that survey and tell us about your experience on today's call. It will help us learn how we can make the series the most useful to you. A podcast of this call and Google Doc call notes will be emailed around and posted online for you and or your colleagues who might not have um, made it to the call. We hope you join us for our next Orton Family Foundation event in partnership with the Council on Foundations. On March 24th, we look at how community foundations have embraced community heart and soul's use of storytelling to help communities reflect on what matters most and to build relationships and understanding among diverse groups. So those of you that are interested in foundations and or storytelling, tune in on March 24th. We want to thank you all for participating. We hope your work engaging youth in meaningful ways blossoms for all of us at the Orton Family Foundation. I'm Fran Stoddard. Hope to see you next time. Have a great day.